Hi, and welcome to Match Cut, the movie podcast where we take two movies with the exact same score on IMDb and break that tie. My name is Aaron. I'm here with my friend and co-host, Matt. Hello. That's pretty presumptuous that we're still friends after the last time. You know what we did. <laughs> so... As people can tell from the title, uh, we watched a couple of car films. According to an exhaustive 20 seconds of research that I did on Google, the first auto-centered narrative film was a short, silent film. Silent, short film. Is it short or silent? Which is the primary attribute? It's probably both. A silent, short film. Called Runaway Match or Marriage by Motor, in which a couple elopes by car. Film came out in 1903, and there's been a few car films since then. At least one more. (laughs) At the heart of every car film is a car. So we wanted to talk about what makes a good movie car. What'd you you come up with in in the week we've had to think about this? You actually think I took time to think of this before taking a nap and sleeping before this recording. Uh, All my shit is ad lib as fuck. Um, I assumed that you worked so hard on compiling a list that you had to take a nap and that's what it was for. Definitely exactly what happened. Uh, You know what I think makes a good movie car is not putting too much emphasis on the car itself. So, like, I don't think either of these films qualify to have great movie cars. Like, I get that, like, Gone in 60 Seconds has Eleanor, which is a little bit more iconic, obviously, because they fucking made them. But, like, definitely not Need for Speed. And if it was something you need for speed, it'd be another car in that. I think you need to hit a right, like, few touchstones to make a, 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 a great movie car. So, like, when you think of... The, the the Aston Martin DB5 from uh, James Bond. Like, yeah, it's like a spy car, got all these cool gadgets. and But that's just a good classic car now. At the time, right. I, I, I'm, I'm curious to know what the uh, what the the sales numbers were like. And like, historically, movies and Bond cars have sold very well. So... Yeah, Bond car movie cars have sold well after the fact. I think it's probably slowed a little bit now because ain't nobody got money for that. Rip millennials. <laughs> right. I think it needs to be like it needs to hit a right thing. Like the car itself can't be too much like a like the Batmobile. Like the the Batmobiles have always been like that's a movie car, but that's like and mm-hmm. like it's cool to look at people, but people aren't going out in droves to make clones of that. People have made clones, but yeah, I think like, you you hear those stories about the guys who dress up as Batman and go visit Make a Wish kids or whatever. They have to drive a Batmobile, contractually well, obligated. Just, I think one guy just drives Lamborghinis, which is also dope as fuck. <laughs> didn't uh, didn't Bruce Wayne drive a Lamborghini in one of the Nolan Batmans? In all of them, yeah. That was that. Like yeah. he happened to drive one of the same Lamborghinis he did. He just dressed up as Batman to go to local children's hospitals. Okay, I'm I'm just discovering the the reference right now. I, I mean, <laughs> there's probably been others that dressed up as Batman and drove Batmobiles there. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna say that that's a thing that's happened. Gotcha. It's just the one that I know of is like famous for driving like a Lamborghini there. Yeah. Which, do you think he was listening to Purple Lamborghini while driving there? 
I mean, I would have to assume so. Well, it was a song composed for the Academy Award-winning film Suicide Squad. Oh, See God. last episode. Uh, <laughs> we, we can't bring this up every episode. <laughs> and it was written for his arch nemesis, the Joker. No, I think what ha- what it has to hit something in the cultural like consciousness, the zeitgeist at the time. So like uh, Bullet with its uh, 1968 uh, green Mustang GT. Nothing honestly super rare about the car at the time it came out. It was a relatively inexpensive car or relatively expensive, but, you know, inflation and all that turns into a relatively expensive car. Like two to three months work. Anyone could have owned a, a Mustang, a Shelby GT, or uh, not a Shelby GT, uh, just a GT Mustang. It was the Shelbys that were more expensive and less were made, which is what we'll be talking about in this movie. Um, mm. But like, what made it special over time is just like Steve McQueen. Everything that he touched was like awesome because he was the king of cool. Uh, the movie itself was very hip in seventies, and like, I think there's a long scene with like bongos or like jazz playing and no <laughs> conversation that's super yeah. fucking artsy and shit uh if i had to say like what a cool movie car from nowadays is like to make a direct example the the uh chevelle malibu that ryan gosling drives in the movie drive is like a direct homage in at least like screen presence to that that Mustang. Yeah. So you're for you, like a good movie car isn't necessarily like something super unique. Like it's not the Batmobile. It's more I something that, that maybe says are, something about the character or a little bit like the bond cars kind of straddle the line in both respects because they will have gadgets and all that, but oftentimes they're just cool cars. It has to be a good style car that will age well. Because, like, Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's movies out there that, like, they put a lot of emphasis on this car, and it's a dumb-looking car. Like, you you see it, and then you're like, wow, that that did not age well. Like, that (laughs) recent tweet that has been making the rounds of, tell us why you're leaving uh, Netflix from Blockbuster, and we'll give you a one-year free subscription to to Blockbuster. Ooh, ouch. I can smell the carpet on that tweet. <laughs> Cause um in my kind of thinking about it, I I like um movie cars that are I think they have to be really unique. Either like they're unique, special, like the cars themselves, like the Ferrari and Ferris Bueller's Day Off, or like they are unique in the movie, like the dog van from Dumb and Dumber. Like, it's not a typical movie car, but I think everyone remembers that movie car. And I think, like, that makes it kind of special. You're implying that I've seen that movie. All right. They're, 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 I think they have, like, a dog grooming business and they coat this van in, like, shag carpeting and big ears and a tongue to make it look like a dog. Oh, I know what it looks like. I knew instantly when you, <laughs> you brought it up. I was just uh, getting it out there that I've never seen either of those movies. I'm shocked that I've seen two movies that you haven't. That aren't like rated a four on IMDb or something. Uh, yeah, just not my cup of tea in terms of comedy, really. 
Fair enough. I saw him when I was pretty young. I don't know that I would like rewatch Dumb and Dumber today, but especially not Dumb and Dumber or or whatever those stupid sequels were they made. Who knows? Um, <laughs> so no, yeah, I don't think that that's uh, that that's my criteria. I think that's that becomes a bit or a a thing of the movie like that. Like mm. there's no one out there that I know of that has made a you know a mutts cuts replica van. Uh, uh, the world's a big place. I think someone's done it. Like, uh, you know what, what made, um, the Jurassic Park, the Jeep and the, the Ford Explorers iconic, you know, they had very garish colors that have not aged well in and of themselves, but that design, that movie, it hit such a cut cultural touchstone. Like so many kids, Mm -hmm. I remember seeing it in the theater as a kid. Um, it was... You know, something, and then it's one of those things as you grow older, like, oh, I can afford that car. Let me turn it into that thing for my childhood. So, like, yeah. the reason the 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 uh, 2001's uh, fa- The Fast and the Furious, so many people bought Toyota Supras? Is that a Supra? <laughs> <Not> a Supra? <laughs> that's a Supra? <laughs> oh, I, I just Supra. watched that video again today. It is, oh, so much good stuff. But the reason that everyone went out and got a Supra after the fact was not because they were an unknown car. That was the fourth generation of Supra. It was because mm-hmm. uh, it had hit a, a point in either depreciation or sales where it was affordable to a lot more people than when it first came out. The tuner culture uh, was in its infancy and growing, and it was a quick way. Also, that engine that they happened to put in it was is very reliable, powerful, and tunable. I think yeah. when you when you look at cars that have lasted, it is cars that you know, especially and then movie cars as well. They're cars that people are able to drive. You know, you you can't go mm-hmm. everywhere in a Batmobile. You can go a lot more places in a Supra. <laughs> right. Yeah, I almost put um, Brian's GTR from Fast and Furious on this list that's, just because... I mean, that's also a great movie car. That started another thing in the second film of people wanting, at least in America, an unobtainium. Because yeah. until... Uh, in, in a few more years, we'll be able to import them. But they will have already all been imported in Canada. Because Canada only has a 15-year import ban as opposed to the Mercedes-lobbied 25-year import ban. Another reason I hate Mercedes and F1, I just realized. Um, yeah, so that kind of falls falls under my critique of like being unique, but also like I think a movie car should have some sort of personality. And I think we'll talk about this a little bit in Gone in 60 Seconds, but like you kind of have the spectrum of movie car personality and like one end is like Herbie the Love Bug or like Kit from Knight Rider. Yeah, where um, it's a character in and of itself, like. Yeah. You can put that character in any car, and as long as you do the same bits, the character probably still works. Mm-hmm. And like Eleanor from the original Gone in sixty seconds had a credit in the movie as like as a character. I don't yeah. know how SAG handles that, but I'm sure they figure I, something out. I think out. you're allowed to do that because I just watched a thing where Mothra, Rodan, Godzilla, and King Gohedra got credits in Godzilla King of the Monsters as themselves and herself. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and I think the other end of like the the 
movie car personality spectrum is when like it's a reflection of the character's personality. Definitely. Um, Which is what Fast and the Furious really did well. Like, you know, when you think of Dominic, uh, what's his last name? Anyway, when you think Toretto. of Dom, Toretto, thank you very much. You think of Chargers. When you think of mm-hmm. Brian, you think of import tuners, specifically GTRs in the latter half of the, the series. They really focus that. But he also drove WRXs and all that. When you think yeah. of the, those two, they have iconic car brands that come to mind if you're a fan of the films and have seen most of them. Yeah. Uh, or, or one that I liked was uh, in the original Transporter when he drove the, uh, the BMW 7 Series. It was a 7? Like, I thought it was a 5. I, I looked it up. It's a, it's a 7 Series. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, an, it's a 99 7 Series E38. Um, and I think, like, that speaks to the character of, you know, as much as there is on screen of, like, the transporter. You know, he has a serious car that's functional. It's got five seats. It's got plenty of trunk space. And it's fast. And that's what he needs. And relatively little modifications needed for his job as well. And. Yeah, and can still remain sort of nondescript. It's not a silver GTR with blue racing stripes. It's you know, a black BMW. What are you talking about, descript? <laughs> no, that, that that doesn't catch the eye anywhere or the imaginations of anyone. <laughs> I think the right the right car for the right thing. Like, um, yeah. I mean, then you kind of straddle the line of what become like. Is it just an ad for a car? Because now. It's yes. big money to put your cars in movies. Right now, the Mission Impossible films, BMW has an exclusive deal for the cars that James Hunt, uh, Ethan Hunt, not James Hunt. James Hunt was a Formula <laughs> One driver. Uh, Ethan Hunt drives are BMWs. Uh, it doesn't take you out of it so much, depending on the director. But once you know that, you'll notice that all the cars everyone drives are BMWs. All the hero yeah. cars and even villain cars are BMWs. I think that started in Mission Impossible uh, Ghost Protocol, where they had the i8 as the big kind of like, ooh, and that that car wasn't released yet. That was a uh, non-functional like mock-up with uh, like some rolling shots done by a pre-production uh, mule car. That is actually literally the next thing I have written down is I dislike them using an unreleased car as a marketing vehicle. And uh, what I had here was Bumblebee in the Transformers when he became the new Camaro. There, to a point, it depends on when the release of that car is and like what kind of car it is. Yeah, it's like the BMW i8. Like he's trying to make a flashy entrance at a at a thing like where he's supposed to be high powered, and when they don't give you a specific date of the movie, it's perfectly fine in my opinion. But this. Like, but definitely a lot of Transformers is really egregious because, yeah, it was just here's a GM ad for the next hour <laughs> and a half. Yeah, I heard, I actually read when I was kind of looking at stuff for this that a v, VW passed on being like the featured cars. Well, because uh, classically, Bumblebee is a bug. Yeah. So they, it was like. They wanted to get, like, the first one was trying to give homage to a lot of the roots, and Michael Bay and GM just were like, no. <laughs> um, I think you have to do it well. It has to not be obvious. Like, yeah. um, it has to not be, oh, 
you mean my brand new ex that does this? And then they have like a chase scene with it. It's like, no, that not that like, uh, going back to mission impossible in the most recent fallout, which was a good movie, just not a good fallout movie. <laughs> there was a great chase scene, probably my favorite of the modern ones where uh, of the recent spat of them where they're in Paris and they're in an older BMW five series. And it's really yeah. like, again, going back to that nondescript, all that. And it feels like, yeah, they just like procured this to make a non-flashy getaway. It just so happens to also be a very good, capable car underneath. I wouldn't be surprised if the a subset of consumers that already weren't seeking out those old five series are take, were taking a harder look at them after the fact. Yeah. So let's move on to the uh, two car movies we are going to be talking about specifically today. Uh, this episode's matchup is about living fast, driving fast, and brotherly love, or almost brotherly love, but not so much almost brotherly love that it stops you from dating their sister. Uh, anyways, uh, fasten your seatbelts, put on your pump-up music, and get ready to fetishize some Mustangs, because it's time for Need for Speed versus Gone in 60 Seconds. Vroom! <laughs> uh, so, did you happen to catch any of these movies in theaters, or these home releases for you? Uh, these are both home releases for me. Um, yeah, I don't know why my car-loving dad didn't try to take us to Gone in 60 Seconds in the theaters. Um, probably when he was away on business. Um, but other than that, yeah. Uh, and Need for Speed, I kind of bought on a whim. Like, oh, I wanted to see it. I like Aaron Paul, and I like car movies. So yeah. I wanted to see it. But then eventually just I bought a used Blu-ray of it. Yeah, I actually own Need for Speed like no one else does. <laughs> um, I watched uh, Need for Speed on an airplane. I had a 14-hour flight, and I was like, well, sure, I'll watch Need for Speed. I enjoyed those video games. Um, Gone in 60 Seconds, I must have seen this movie like 10 times, but concentrated between the ages of like, how old was I, like 13 to 16 or something yeah the other thing about this is gone in 60 seconds was like on a lot of syndication for a long time like yeah I, jerry bruckheimer must have just been like a because it it's a bruckheimer produced film like he must mm -hmm. have like made deals like okay you want this csi show well you're gonna have to syndicate this movie i produced that no one watched <laughs> i watched it jerry i watched it it was on HBO a lot. Yeah, I think that's how I caught it a few times. Uh, but I definitely, I just remember one memory of going through uh, a friend's DVD collection at a uh, like a family like get together, and he was you know kind of like extended family because anyway, um, and it was one of the movies that we like all watched together. Like yeah. it was the director's cut as well. I remember now the extended cut. It doesn't add anything. I, I think it adds it adds like some scenes to 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 sway, right? But nothing major. So not enough to um, save that character. I mean, the movie has a lot more problems now that we're older. Mm hmm. But I I'm, anyway, we'll we'll discuss. It I, I have it in the notes. We'll touch on it. <laughs> yeah. So what's the bacon number of these? <laughs> 
Well, besides being linked by their IMDb score, uh, these movies are also separated by two degrees. Um, Aaron Paul was in Kingsglaive Final Fantasy 15, of all things, with Sean Bean. And Sean Bean is a national treasure. I mean, was in National Treasure with Nicolas Cage. He also is a national treasure. Let's be <laughs> real here. Yeah. And has died so many times for our entertainment. Uh, so both of these movies have scored a below average 6.5 on imdb but one of them must be better than the other i think that's still passing in some states i could name a couple specific states where i think they consider that passing roll time Uh, (laughs) one of them must be better than the other though we'll find out right after this break Coming in at pole position is uh, Need for Speed. Need for Speed is a 2014 film based on a decade-spanning video game series produced by Electronic Arts, written by George Gattins and directed by Scott Waugh. George Gattins has only written this movie, but also has a few sparse producer credits between 2002 and 2010. Scott Waugh has directed a few other movies, such as Act of Valor and Six Below Miracle on the Mountain. However, the majority of his work has been as a stuntman on a wide variety of movies between 88 and 2005. And I mean a wide variety. I should have put I should have put him in the notes, but uh, as a stuntman like you get an eclectic series of credits cuz like see someone that took a fall, stuntman. <laughs> exactly. You know, what? let me let me go in and look some of the movies he's worked on. He worked on Waterworld. Uh, Batman Forever, great Speed. Film. Not a great film. Good but film. also The Princess Diaries and not another teen movie. Yeah. So a little a little of everything. And also the quintessential motorcycle movie, Torque. <laughs> That's, we got to cover that at some point. Oh, gosh. I hope so. I own that movie on DVD. It is my, pri- my prize possession. It is... It's a movie. <laughs> it sure is. It fits the legal definition. Uh, back to Need for Speed, though. After his father's passing, Toby Marshall is willed his father's garage and all the debt that goes with it. Toby is making a little money on the side using his incredible talent behind the wheel to win small time, to win small time street races, but isn't making up for the garage's non-existent customer base. When things are at their most dire. Dino Brewster shows up with the latest Mustang Carol Shelby was building before he died. One thing leads to another until and Dino Brewster kills Toby's best friend Pete in a legal street race and frames Toby for the murder. As it happens. There was a lot of fluff that I We got the important parts. When Toby gets out of prison two years later, he promises revenge in the only way he knows how, by winning an illegal street race. But first he's gonna need a crew and he's gonna need a car. So What did you think of this movie? <laughs> I mean, I have some thoughts, but one thing I Please. do want to get out of the way <laughs> real quick is there's a collection of nitpicks I have for this movie. And I don't think that nitpicks are like always valid film criticisms. See the entire catalog of cinema sins, but yes, <laughs> but when you take them together, I think they considered together. They can be, a valid criticism of the movie. And so let's run down a couple. 
Um, I know we disagree about this, but I it takes me out when all these cars, all these kids in like upstate New York have these super expensive vintage muscle cars. I think that Fast and Furious gets I that. I don't disagree with you at all. I agree with you 100%. Okay. I, I thought we had more of a disagreement when we were watching it. I No, I was like, I was bringing it up that like, I'm the one that brought it up that like it is ridiculous that they're they're trying to say that these guys are are racing for what five thousand dollars in the first race mm-hmm. and he's got a a a grand Torino or a Torino sport coupe that it's worth at least thirty grand <laughs> right like okay. you could you could maybe argue that Toby's is like oh that might have been his dad's and so he's not gonna sell that of course right but like the other guys like the only other car that makes sense to be racing for like five grand is the Porsche 944. The other like three cars other yeah. than Toby's, it's like an SS Camaro uh, and a Pontiac GTO, both of which regularly fetch in the six digits at <laughs> Barrett Jackson's auctions. Right. Um, I think Fast and Furious gets that right in using like cheap import cars. Um, yeah. Yeah. At the time, now you know, going back yeah. to the, now, the now try to find a life. Supra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Supras are now fetching six figures. <laughs> um, I don't like that they have like a hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment in that stupid telemetry truck plus Apollo plane Perfectly when valid. when their business is struggling. Like you've got liquid assets, just sell them. So I I disagree with some of the stuff. Like you get the sense that Toby is struggling. His mm-hmm. friends might not necessarily be. His yeah. friends are all just really good friends, and this is what they've grown up doing. The plane, that goes into more like, oh, I know a guy that owns plane shares. So mm-hmm. it could just be that, who is the rapper? Kid Cuddy. Kid Cuddy's character, who I don't even know his character's name, nor do I care to find out his character's name. Uh, Benny. I, I lied. Um <laughs> Benny might just be in a plane share uh, in the area and have a spotter plane. Um, yeah. Um, because who else is going to want to fly in the middle of the night around the top of the city? Right. I mean, he also like has enough freedom with that plane to like take it to Detroit and like take it across the country. So I kind of like chalked that up to like, maybe he was like using different planes. Cause they're kind of getting him in as like the guy that knows everyone. Right. So yeah. like, it could be that like he was borrowing multiple planes, but then there is the specific scene where he's like got to refuel and get back in the Cessna. Yeah. Um, the Mustang clearly makes turbo noises when it's supposed to be supercharged. Come on. That does, that does bother me. Um, I definitely think there's a lot of things they did with that Mustang that were just like, why? Like I get that heads up displays are real, but why? Yeah. Um, Julia Imogen Poot's character says you need a right seater. Literally no one else has a right seater. Um, the Mustang still has airbags. It rolls over in that cr- crash and has airbags. You would take that out in a race car. Um, also following a crash like that, when you're being pursued by police in a hot Mustang, they're going to check local hospitals. You don't get away with that. Uh, the fire on Dino's Lambo at the end is just trash. And when you devote so much oh, time God, to, yeah. to practical stunts, you're going to throw that garbage fire in there. And yeah. also the most nitpickiest of all, they don't show how they turn off 
Toby's check engine light after he opens his fuel cap on the freeway because you know that thing came on. We've all left a fuel cap unscrewed. You know how they you know how they uh, t- t- turned it off. I don't think Mustangs have those. <laughs> Maybe that's what Carol Shelby was working on for six months. He's like, I've, I've heard other cars have these check engine lights. We're going to defend. Now I heard about time. these other cars. They got these check engine lights. I I just don't know how to do it. <laughs> We can steal the patent for intermittent wipers and we can't steal a patent for a check engine light. Come on. That wasn't Carol Shelby. <laughs> Don't you besmirch his name. <laughs> um, so the only reason I want to bring up these nitpicks is um, like we just covered some movies like uh, Gone Baby Gone and Wind River that have this incredible intention to detail and it like works yeah. in those movies and this movie just doesn't care. <laughs> Well, I don't think it's some of that stuff is doesn't care. So, like, I actually wanted to counter your nitpick of the the airbags in a race car, not a race car. The that mm-hmm. Mustang is not a race car at all, it, and the the whole thing is these are supposed to be street cars that are doing street racing, not race cars. Yeah. So that one is more you, I think, viewing the car a certain way rather than another way, which yeah. is left up to interpretation rather than actually explicitly stated in the film. Right. They skip over so much of that Mustang building sequence. Like, it's just... The one, entirety of it? One scene, it shows up on a flatbed with no front end, just the motor, and then it's, like, onto this $30 million doesn't exist in real life holographic bidding display. <laughs> I rem- uh well no that was just like a showing it off display like I could totally see that like a car company trying to do something like that for a limited premiere release thing yeah uh, something that bothered me about that release like that a whole bunch bothers me about the beginning uh, mm. this is just another thing in it is like you have Remy Malik by the way uh, surprise he's in this movie <laughs> um, trying to to hit on. At the 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 unveiling of this car, these very attractive like model esque women, and they're like looking down on. He's the guy that built the car. Mm-hmm. He built that car. He built that. The one thing he, that everyone he, is here to see. Right, like there's no way that the, the women, like even if they're just gold digging whores, they would still be like, oh, he's a mechanic. He built a really expensive car. Maybe he's rich. Like a three million dollar car. <laughs> yeah. Also, Remy Malik, hot guy. Oh, like n- no shame in his swagger. Th- he is nude in this movie, <laughs> and it's like really uncomfortable in the moment for like, why? Why is he doing that? Doesn't but, doesn't like, have to be nude. Has, but he did that. He, he no did that shame. for us. He, no shame in his body. As anyone that has now seen Bohemian Rhapsody can attest, boy is hot. Yeah. So, uh, one thing that we had kind of talked about in this movie or yeah, one thing that we talked about is, um, kind of how this, this car movie like misses the mark kind of when it, all it has to do is copy a formula that's like existed. And, and I joked that it's very similar to the way EA and Bioware, kind of missed with um, Anthem. <laughs> and I know this is a niche reference that not everyone will follow, but well, niche-ish. Um, but like with Anthem, the templates like Destiny and the Division and like how you do a four-person MMO light is there. 
Like just yeah. follow the formula. And for these movies, like Fast and Furious is there. Just follow the formula. <laughs> you know, put and your even own. You're trying to be. Yeah, even if you were trying to be different, there's plenty of other car movies to draw inspiration from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there are some of those inspirations in it. Uh, both these movies have a a reference to um, American graffiti. Uh, American graffiti with a a tow hook to the rear axle of a car. Yeah. Um, so that there, there's definitely touchstones to other car movies, but like you could have just taken the setup to vanishing point for the middle of this movie and, or cannonball run or, uh, gumball, any of these classic car films that are out there to create a central narrative or an homage to, and no one would have hated you for it. Uh, I feel that they were, there was definitely also them trying to do a bit of Gone in 60 Seconds, the remake in this movie with the, with some of this stuff. Hmm. You know, you got like the, the cast of characters all with their own special abilities and, you know, like stunts. Yeah. I think the bigger issue is Fast and Furious exists in this world that we live in. <laughs> and they've already done a lot of car stunts. They've hmm. already done a lot of real car stunts. They've done even more fake car stunts. (laughs) It's hard to wow audiences with just a cars driving fast movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that it could have. And so a misstep of this film is leaning too much into like, we're going to wow them with car spectacle when it really kind of could have gone. I'm like, we're going to be like a legit good movie that has good car stuff in it. And I feel this is some EA interference shit. Like, no, we want to be like, we want to be like that. Let's do that. Because man, there is a lot of stuff. that is just like, you don't need that. I feel, and I think you agree with me that the entire first act of this movie can be cut off and taken out. It's entirely too long. Petey is a fucking idiot. (laughs) I hate him, and when he dies, he deserves it because he's an idiot. That character, like, should have just, I'm gonna die written on his forehead. Like, from minute one, it's like, all right, stop talking, we know who you are, you're going to die. (laughs) And, like, it actively hurts my enjoyment of Aaron Paul's Toby Marshall, like, revenge, when he cares so much about this kid because he's written like an idiot. <laughs> Everyone in that family, both Toby and his sister, uh, Anita, cannot shut their mouths. Anita, uh, Anita is not his sister. Anita is Petey's sister. Right. Petey. Sorry, did I say Toby? I meant Petey and his sister cannot shut their mouths. Toby shuts his mouth too much. Well, I mean, Dakota Johnson isn't really in this film. Mm-hmm. She is, oh, I know what she I has know that the scene one you're talking scene. about. Yeah. Oh, where she fucking sandbags his negotiation. <laughs> and it's like, why did you write this? Like, I can get people exist like that. But like having Petey be a mechanic friend of Toby and like, you know, Dino Brewster doesn't start out as like a horrible guy. He's kind of got like an arrogance, but like mm-hmm. even Toby is like guy raced Indy. Like clearly yeah. he's got talent. Like. Ain't, ain't no knock in that. And he does come like a little hat in hand, 
still a little pompous. So like his turn as the villain and antagonist is like totally believable. Mm -hmm. Like he just gets more cartoonish as it goes on. Um, Yeah. But his whole coming hat in hand, like being like, like, you know, I'm here because my girlfriend, my wife, who was, it seemed your girlfriend at one point, like there's definitely, there was a love triangle there in the past that has soured because uh, Anita chose Dino over Toby because Toby was never going to leave the the upstate New York where they where they're all from, and mm-hmm. so she she went with Dino, which I'm fairly certain is a direct reference to Dino Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, he's doing him a favor, like legit doing him a favor by right. giving him a great deal, like. You get a third of whatever this car that I'm bringing to you fetches at auction. Yeah. And so PD is there for that conversation. <laughs> PD Boy, is then there it. at a negotiation with Imogene Poots, Julia's character, where Dino is talking up the car like anyone who is selling a car does in a high price thing. And by the way, Toby is not sandbagging this at all, but yeah. he is definitely laughing along with Petey. It's like, you're about to screw yourself out of money. (laughs) Yeah. Like, there's no one that exists that would be like, you've never done that, Dino. We did all that. It can't be, it can't do that. It's never been on a track. Like, even Carol Shelby would be like, I fucking lie all the time, bro. You need to get with it. Yeah. Like, so, that... So, like, I think as a rational person, like, you don't look at that scene and be like, oh, Dino's a terrible person. He's a liar. You're like, Petey is an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're set, they're putting, they're showing the wrong character traits. They're trying to show, like, oh, look what a scumbag Dino is. Like, no, look what an idiot Petey is. Yeah, they, they... you show him as a scumbag later on very clearly, but like mm. <laughs> Dominic Cooper is a better actor than that scene or like he's acting in a different movie kind of thing because the look on his face is not like, hey, <laughs> snidely whiplash. It's, oh my God, what have I done? I can't be here. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's kind of this weird thing. I, I don't know what it is with, Dino, like first they they say like like you said they say like oh he raced Indy you know the direct quote is it's as real as it gets and then Dino can't get a car to two hundred thirty miles an hour like that's what Indy car is is like almost exactly that speed pretty sure <laughs> he knows how yeah, um, well the other thing about that is the car hadn't been shaken down like been on a track ever no one has gotten it up to that speed. And Dino rightfully is would not try to get it up to that speed because it's a Mustang. It is not a perf- <laughs> it is not a sports car that is purpose built to go that fast necessarily. We never see what they did to the car, and for all intents and purposes, it is a road car still because it has airbags, because it has all these things. It doesn't have a roll cage. It doesn't have bespoke bucket seats that are racing inspired it doesn't have a stripped interior so he is right to not try to get a 500 horsepower or what 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 horsepower does it end up having yeah we know what it we know what it does have it has a supercharger it's got an aluminium block it's got racing headers 
and 900 horsepower. That's what we know about the so, car. It would be insane for Dino to take a 900 horsepower Mustang that is just like roided up out on a track to try to get it to 230. Mustangs kill crowds at Cars and Coffee all the time. <laughs> he has seen what they're capable of, and he's really the hero of this film trying to get that Mustang off the road. Yeah. It has a thirst for blood that cannot be quenched. <laughs> it killed Petey. It, Who's I it going to kill next? <laughs> um, I don't like the introduction to Julia because um, she comes in purposely asking like dumb questions and acting like an airhead intentionally. We find out because she knows this stuff. So she's asking like, about the mustang like oh is it fast but why is it so fast are all mustangs this fast like she acts like an airhead you know maybe as a technique to get information out of toby and Petey, and then gets super offended when they treat her like she's an airhead it's like but at the same time i feel that that's just really chauvinistic needless gender baiting because like that's like a girl. Of course, girls wouldn't understand how fast cars are. Her, her, her. And then yeah. it's like, no, I flipped the script on you. But then later they also play into it with like them trying to like, it's just this it's... movie. If it had come out around uh, 2000 or like 2000 or 1998 or sometime in the mid 2000s, probably wouldn't have batted an eye at that. But mm-hmm. like the needless, like, gender like gating gatekeeping going on just really rubs me the wrong way yeah and i know that like women in racing discussions like face that i know i remember a post on the formula one subreddit where um some uh woman was talking about oh you know she got talked down to at a bar because some dude assumed that like, oh, she just watched Drive to Survive and didn't know anything. And it's like, no, I've been watching Formula One since like 86 or something. And it's just like, I know more than you. I get that that happens, but also it doesn't work for me in this scene just because Julia intentionally acts like an airhead at the, in the beginning of it. Oh, no, I, I get what you're saying there. I just I think the greater implication of that is worse for the movie. Because mm-hmm. then, like, they're intercutting this scene with the scene I talked about earlier, where Remy Malik is trying to hit on these girls, and because he's the mechanic, they walk away from him. So yeah. they are they are confirming it, and then try, they're ha- trying to have their cake and eat it too, mm-hmm. with like, oh, women can be car people too, exactly. Uh, yeah. But then, but then they don't empower any women throughout this film by having them be drivers of any of the cars. Yeah. It's a really like it also seems like a really simple problem to solve. Like you have five racers that are just basically throwaway characters at the end in the Daily Own. Just yeah, just make put a woman more. in there. I think it's implied that there was a woman driving the Porsche 944 in the first race. Uh, they do show her there. Yeah, there was one woman in that race. And Porsche. like that again, that whole first sequence of the movie feels like. Uh, it was like reshoots or something because we've talked about this and I think you agree with me that we should, we, there was an edit in here that would make the movie at least a little bit better. And it's basically cutting out the first 40 minutes, Mm -hmm. having it start with Toby Marshall getting out of prison. But with before that, an introduction 
giving more screen time to Michael Keaton's The Monarch character. Yeah. I just wanted to call him the vulture the whole time. I mean, wasn't it? This film came out before Spider-Man uh, Homecoming, oh, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but it, this was right after he had done Birdman. So, <laughs> yeah. or right before or right during. It was like, it was part of like, oh, very Michael close back. to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Criminally underused in this movie, I think. Yeah. A voiceover from him, like. Too expensive for this movie, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause this movie just, I feel like doesn't know what it wants to do. Like it's ostensibly about a revenge plot, but like, or, you know, revenge, wrongful death. It's the PD story with cars, uh, you know, a sprinkling of cars around it. Um, and like, I like the opening race scene, but it also like, we already, we, we already find out that Toby's an amazing driver, like several other times so what are we showing in this scene and yeah then... it does it do, the only information that is gained the only character like other than we want to we want to appeal to all car cultures is like the only thing i can think of with that scene so here's like a classic thing that maybe you and your friends did to a degree have, yeah. or have done or have seen like classic street racing like it's the middle of the night we meet one place whoever is at the other place first wins yeah or if, or if they wanted to show what me and my friends did, it would be putting Del Taco trays underneath your rear tires, putting on the e-brake and drifting your car around a parking lot. I'm sure Del Taco loved you doing that. <laughs> I'm sure they were big fans. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they like I if I were to improve that scene, like it could have shown something about like racecraft, like to the film's credit, they call Toby a very patient race car driver which is an important quality you know you can't just always be hyper aggressive going for every small perceived gap you know like at turn one on spa or something as a random example um yeah <laughs> so like i like that they show his patience but then the race is just kind of won because like toby's car has a seventh gear that no one else has and just kind of goes a little faster on the final straight. Right. It's it doesn't feel like like the the guy in the GTO in that race never feels like he's threatened or anything like that. And he's yeah. just like calm, cool and collected. It's not like a, a Fast and Furious again, the, the the thing that they should have just taken a, a template from. Like, oh when Ja Rule goes, Monica <laughs> It's like it's funny because that's all his character cares about. You mm -hmm. get very quick archetypal characters in Fast and Furious, the first one at the very least, so that you know what they're about. Dom's yeah. character is very calm, cool, collected, and no one can touch him. And he knows a lot about you know piston rings and granny shifting. <laughs> um, Not double clutching like you should. But why? My synchros are fine. Um, <laughs> Brian is clearly like boastful and all that. And anyway. It's it establishes a shorthand a lot better, whereas this is trying to give you like the acting chops, like we're 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 caring about the characters that are in these cars rather than the cars. But it's like you only care about two characters, and one of them you hate. <laughs> yeah, or like they try to set up um, uh, 
Jeez. Rami Malek's character, Finn, is kind of like this suspension genius. Like they show him like adjusting clicks or like the whole reason that they have that whole office scene is because they need him to like fix a lean in the uh, Mustang. And it's just like, okay, so focus on that. Like maybe then show the whole Mustang building sequence or something. But just like all these scenes in this movie just kind of happen and they don't really have a point. There, there's definitely some of that in the in the first third of this film. A lot of it is like we're just doing this scene because we're in a car movie. Like, mm-hmm. so him drifting around in like the chase in Detroit and all that, that is to get him into the De Leon. And yeah. then like the, the jump and all that, like, so that has a purpose. But they were, like they were trying to establish a side purpose of him, of Ruby Malik's Finn getting back in it after having left. Yeah. Again, I feel they establish these guys as really tight and close and the ones that put this car together to begin with. So mm-hmm. them, them having to get the gang back together doesn't make sense after seeing how close they are. Yeah. I feel that, uh, again, it should have been like what Gone in 60 Seconds does. It establishes the relationships between these people very quickly in the opening credits with the the... The, the Moby song, uh, Bring Sally Up, I think, or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, also, two whereas... things that these movies both like are poorly photoshopped childhood pictures. Yep. <laughs> Very obviously, Nicolas Cage and Giovanni Ribisi did not know that old person, and Aaron, uh, Aaron Paul did not know this old person. Yeah. But sorry, you were saying about establishing characters. So they, they do a little bit of that in some of the garage scenes for Toby Marshall, but again... We don't need to see a whole bunch. We can infer a lot as an audience. It doesn't trust us as an audience to be able to get that without telling us that he's such a good mechanic. But it doesn't show us him being a good mechanic and why Dino would come there. Mm-hmm. Like Dino yeah. Brewster has a, a, a exotic car workshop and dealership in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, that he's trying why to sell. Would he... And Carol Shelby worked in uh, Nevada and Southern California. Why would he bring Carol Shelby's last car all the way to New York? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, he does have a line in the movie. It's like, Hey, I've been to exotic car shops, like all, or mechanic shops all over the country. And yours is still the best. Which perfectly fine to establish that. I'm just saying that it again, feeds into the, why are we here? Point of my, my thing. Like, yeah, I think they should have just taken a page, follow the the, the 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 groundwork already laid out by other films, and followed what Gone 60 Seconds did to a point where you establish with quick cuts through news clippings and photographs the relationship, and like then like towards the end sprinkle in like some other things like we don't need to know that it's in financial trouble. Who cares? Like Anyone that had this opportunity that's a car lover would do this. Yeah. Um, it's like, and for, you know, 25% of a three, uh, what ends up being like a $2.7 million sale, like, heck yeah, I'm, you know. Yeah, no one would turn that money down, financial trouble or not. Right. So another thing that they just kind of discard in this movie is um, they just get rid of the Mustang. Like... Towards the end of the movie, it gets wrecked, and then they're just like, ah, well, well, we got this Agera. 
There's, yeah. I would have at least liked, like, okay, if this Mustang is going to be a, such a central part of this story and, you know, there's like a little poetic justice and like, yeah, we're going to get Dino with the car he paid us to build, like, as this ultimate, like, double middle finger, whatever. And then it's just like, ah, no, 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 we're just going to run with the Agera instead, which I get had its own poetic justice as well, but I would have liked just a little bit of mourning maybe for the Mustang. Yeah. Like, the guy that does it, that wrecks the Mustang, is also a car guy. Like, he's one of Dino's mechanics. Yeah. Um, There is... Now, we've been a little negative on this film, I think, a bit too much. Because there is is enjoyable stuff in this. Like, once it gets going, Mm -hmm. there's some, you know, like, really decent driving. There's decent character development between the relationship between Imogene and Toby. Or... Imogene is the actor. Uh, Julia. Uh, Julia and Toby were yeah. like, you know, they're talking, they're bonding. Like she's understanding, like she speaks up for him on like a live cast that the Monarch's doing where Dino is just like trashing him. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, screw this. Like th- this is bullshit that he's allowed to say lies and you're just going to sit here and take it. Right. I I think it's, uh, Yeah. I have some small issue with that. And it's mostly that like Julia is like, she gets kind of like turned on by a, Toby's driving. And it's just like, is that like the turn that this character needed? Uh, I don't know, but it, it is nice to see those attitudes change. It's a little formulaic, but it, it is character development. Um, one of the things I really liked about this movie was the, um, the final race, the De Leon, like strong, yeah. strong, um, Need for Speed Hot Pursuit 2 vibes when they're going through the oh, forest yeah. and have like with the, the, the cop talk as which we we're just going to bring up I feel yeah with the rolling barricade and and the ram and like love all that fantastic I love all the practical stunts CG fire aside like all the stunts look really good they have we this is the better of the two Mustang jumps that we see like yeah um they got that right there are there are some positive aspects of this movie the, definitely the scene where they where they have to hook up the uh the car to the helicopter to lift it or else they're gonna mm-hmm. be like rammed off and basically killed by these guys <laughs> that have a they have a bounty put out on them yeah <laughs> so yeah that's uh that that was a cool scene and it's like and it's an escalation of the stakes like of like damn people are gonna like kill me for this <laughs> like because up until then like the only the only stakes had been like, oh, if, if the police catch us, but like they show that the police are well and truly handled. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then the the one realistic part of this movie is uh, Kid Cudi's character goes to prison. Yes, for, <laughs> Le- for taking a military helicopter and violating the flight plan that he filed with yeah. the military. And getting court-martialed and dishonorably discharged, which shall yeah. be a black mark on his life. <laughs> but hey, at least you, your your buddy got to show up that guy that killed your other friend. Yeah. So I guess worth it. And then aggravated his existing neck injury by punching him after he'd been in a car wreck. Yeah. <laughs> um. So if I were to, like, if I had one sweeping change that I would make to this movie... It would be kill Toby off screen <laughs> or no, sorry, Petey <laughs> boring ass names. Yeah. 
cut the cut the intro down and then don't make so much of the movie like this cross country road trip thing that's like I like make the race the De Leon not five minutes long. Yeah. Like I think um show us more of what the De Leon is and like if you want to get those exotic car chases and car scenes out of the way, like have it take like show like some live footage or like dash cam footage of previous De Leons with like, you know, crazy cop interference because cops get wind of it, you know, it's kind of like part of the the threat of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the other, the other conceit of the De Leon is that the winner takes all the loser's cars. <laughs> so yeah, Toby wins the De Leon and every other car is wrecked. And that, that Aguera is definitely getting impounded as evidence. Um, oh yeah, he, he's never getting that Agarra back. So like Need for Speed The Run came out before this movie, came out in 2011. Why not just use that like cross-country race as a template for this movie? Why are we road well, tripping across the United States? because they didn't want the an El Camino. They didn't want to try to make an El Camino pass a Lamborghini <laughs> going full speed downhill. <laughs> yeah, they just couldn't convincingly write that rubber banding AI into the script. I mean, that's what turned me off of actually playing that game, despite the fact that it had, like, a super awesome schlocky story. Yeah. They they had to bust out the frostbite engine for those quick time event cutscenes. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, right. But, like, yeah, I definitely think that they should have just, just recast, uh, um, uh, what's her name? What's her name? Christina Hendricks. As you know, like the femme fatale, and like just do that movie as your movie. Yeah. At the very least, it will it'll be like genre-y enough instead of you trying to do something reaching far beyond your grasp. Yeah. Which and is then, definitely something that God in 60 Seconds doesn't do. It it knows the movie it wants to be and is the movie it wants to be. Yeah. And then you've got opportunities for like okay these characters are expert mechanics like great we're racing a car three thousand miles across the u.s like now we can show this instead of one highway refueling scene yeah which uh, impressive stunt that remy malik's doing there Mm -hmm. but But, like overall it's just like whatever yeah so many of these scenes don't have a point to them and i think that that's something that Gone in 60 Seconds really got right. You ready to so, yeah, talk well, about Gone in 60 Seconds? Because <laughs> I am. After the break, we'll be back to talk about Gone in 60 Seconds. Fantastic. See you on the other side. Gone in 60 Seconds is a 2000... Uh, Exactly movie written by Scott and Rosenberg and directed by Dominic Senna. Not no relation. It is a loose reimagining of the 74 film of the same name. Writer Scott Rosenberg also wrote Con Air, a movie beyond reproach. High Fidelity, an amazing film, as well as the recent Jumanji and Venom movies. I hear good things about the Jumanji films, Venom less so. Dominic Senna has directed California, Swordfish, and White Up, a a movie about a serial killer in the Antarctic. I have actually seen uh, two of those and parts of California. So a ton of music videos between 85 and 93. The creator of the original God in 60 Seconds, H.B. Halak, Halecki, also receives a posthumous writing credit. After car thief 
Randall Memphis Reigns uh, <laughs> retired from the game. Auto theft went down by 47%. Is that from the actual movie? They say 47%. Yeah. The bad guy says it, yeah. But now his brother Kip has gotten in well over his head and needs Memphis to bail him out. A job? Steal 50 cars in four days or Kip gets buried in a handmade coffin after apparently being crushed in a car crusher? Almost. They would have. The co- I, I feel like they would have scooped him out of the car and maybe put him in the coffin. The car list is a veritable who's who of cars. An 87 Testarossa. That's a Ferrari. A 94 Jaguar XJ220. A 97 911 Porsche Turbo. And a 2000 GMC Yukon. <laughs> <laughs> the, but last on the list is Memphis Reigns Unicorn. A Shelby GT500 from 1967 also what kind of name is freb anyway (laughs) i don't the 2000s were a wild time man i feel like they all they all kind of have their nicknames so i feel like freb here was introducing himself to the group and just stumbled over his words because he's kind of like that nervous newbie character and called himself freb and that just stuck but that's my headcanon so um, this movie does a lot of things you want from this movie. It wastes no time getting into car action and car stealing action. It establishes mm-hmm. characters really quickly and succinctly. Um, even if they're just like, it establishes a character trait rather than an actual character journey they're going to go on. It knows it's not, it's not trying to be something it's not. Yeah, like the opening scene when they're stealing the um, it's the nine eleven turbo, right? From yeah. that dealership. Um, like we get a sense of who all those characters are. Like, you know, Kip just hucks a brick through a window, and then like street races someone in a stolen Porsche. Like, that's all you need to know about Kip. Yeah, it's he's not exactly uh, smart. He's not uh, Memphis Reigns, that's for sure. <laughs> who who gets introduced being way too serious with kids that are three or four on a go-kart track, and he absolutely roasts a kid that, like, <laughs> overcooks a turn and goes into a barrier. What was that? <laughs> oh, that's that's not ra- I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that's not driving. <laughs> um, so, how how long do you think... Well, I mean, we looked at the time with Need for Speed. It was like 40 minutes of intro or like 35 minutes of intro. Um, how long do you think it is between the beginning of this movie and the car crusher like call to action, if you had to guess? 18 minutes. It is like just over 20 minutes. It is so okay. much like there's such an economy of just like these are important scenes. These are filled with details. Now let's get to the movie. And... I feel like that was what maybe Jerry Bruckheimer brought to this film. I I don't know for sure, I mean, but you can say a lot of things about Bruckheimer's productions and all that, but he makes entertaining films. Like the 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 list of the the guy he got to direct this, you know, also did you know oh, right to write this Con Air, High Fidelity, Jumanji, Venom. Like those are all at the very least entertaining films. Mm-hmm. With Swordfish and Whiteout being entertaining and California being a apparently good film. I've only seen parts of it. 
Yeah, so, I've only seen Swordfish of his, so. And then, you know, going back further than that, Days of Thunder and Top Gun. Those are not good films, but they're entertaining. Yeah. You know, Days of Thunder is just Top Gun with NASCAR. Mm. And Robert Duvall. Degrees of separation. <laughs> um, One of the things that was different about this movie, huge licensed soundtrack. I don't know if music was just free back then, but... Well, Bruckheimer like, has connections in Hollywood and always has, so he's able to pull put a lot of weight behind things and put a lot more money into things. Um, yeah. So I, I think so, like some of the licensed music helps move things along a lot more than, you know, typical or orchestrated or orchestral music would in in uh the movie otherwise. Oh, I mean the the opening scene, the use of uh that Moby song, like it has no connection overall to cars or anything like that, but it's the right song for the feel of the film. Your head's bopping, you're in it, you're 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 about it. And I'm gonna add it to our mm-hmm. Bobs and Bars playlist, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. <laughs> I I mean I support that action fully. Um one of the scenes that really stuck out to me was um the one where Detective Castleback uh comes into the garage like looking for you know, this motley crew of car thieves. Um, So like the things that go on in that scene, they have to convince Castlebeck they didn't steal that El Camino, even though they or not, sorry, not El Camino, the uh, Cadillac, even though they did. Um, They need to make sure he doesn't discover the heroin in the truck, in the trunk. They need him to blow away the heroin on the floor. Um, We learn that James Conn's character is totally ready to us. Scott Conn, James Conn's his dad. Sorry, Scott Con is totally ready to just just hit a cop with a piece of pipe. Well, he, he's gonna he's gonna bop him. You were gonna, he's bop, gonna him? bop him. And uh, Castleback also gets the hint that they're like pulling the job tonight because they have the police call signs on their toolbox. Yeah, like that's that's like seven eight things in one scene. It also and establishes. It also establishes. Castleback as a like a threat to Memphis Reigns because he's like, you know, you got this car, you got that car, you got that car, and you have this car, like mm-hmm. naming off the actual like, and I believe they are true to the these cars are those cars that he is naming yeah. off, custom uh, Fords like nice Ferraris, and then this crappy <laughs> Cadillac. Yeah, and when um. Uh, when he figures out, like, when he finally gets the lab results back, because, you know, it's been a week, and lab results take time of what that glass was, it's black light glass. He's like, mm-hmm. of course. It's like, I was alive for the, the this thing. Like, <laughs> I want, I think I know what they were doing. And so he goes back to the scene of the original, like, the original crime, where they had all the original cars, and that were being stolen when they were playing Shadow Games. <laughs> Which I love the way that that Memphis Rain shuts him down in that scene. No, we all heard you shadow games. They have four days and they want to play like four months worth of things. Uh, I like that. I don't know if you or other people notice, but like they only had 13 or 14 cars of the original 50 list and they were already coming Mm -hmm. up on the deadline. 
Yeah. Uh, they were, they were, were not working for them. They were not working for them. So even if Kip didn't get arrested or almost arrested and lose all the cars, he still would have been killed by the carpenter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this movie is also very much like a, <clears throat> for the negatives, it's an, it's an artifact of his time. I know we hit on this like almost every time, but homosexual slurs, racism played for laughs, all that yeah. good early 2000s stuff. Well, I also think those are touch marks of Jerry Bruckheimer Productions. <laughs> yeah, uh, also true. Um, yeah, it's definitely of the times, and you you look at it as it is. There's, uh, again, shorthand and archetypes used for the negative. Um, yeah. You know, of course, the black car thief walks and talks and dresses like a early 2000s gangster rapper gangbanger. Yeah. There's the um the Latino like gangsters that roll up on them when they're oh, trying to get the You dog mean to... Michael Peña? Oh, I'm so glad that he's moved on to bigger and better things than like playing a gangster in every movie. It's just so weird to see him baby-faced and he's still baby-faced but he was more baby-faced. It was like, "Oh, I was like, <laughs> you were in that one movie, but then you were like in this other movie." And End of Watch was actually good, and we should cover it on this <laughs> podcast sometime. We'll, we'll figure it out. Well, yeah, an actual good David Ayer film. Yeah. Suicide Squad will be brought up in every subsequent podcast now. My <laughs> I love all the car chases in this movie. Yeah. I love this stuff in the, in the you know, LA, not the LA River, but, you know, you know what I'm talking about. That scene. I even like the flying gas cylinder and the wrecking ball that puts a cop through a wall. Like yeah. it's a little over the top, but it's good a fun. Wall. <laughs> um, the one black mark I think on this movie is the CGI and the Mustang jump that so just did not. We we looked it up, and they actually did that jump with a real car. Yeah, and then wanted it to go like even farther, so they put a cgi mustang in was that why i thought it was just they wanted it to they wanted to get a specific shot and so they just cgi'd it yeah i well i haven't i don't remember seeing something specifically that said this but my thinking would be they wanted a shot that shows like how much distance that mustang is clearing like because the the part that they cgi is is the mustang like clearing you know 100 feet of cars or something Right. So. Well, so I thought it was just they didn't like the angles they got. And so they, they did that instead. But it's just mm -hmm. completely terrible and obvious. And why would you even do the jump if you don't want to use it when you had been practical effects up until this point, for the most part? All of a sudden, it's mm -hmm. a very obvious early 2000 CGI. <laughs> yeah, it's. It's the one stumble, I think, in like what is otherwise a pretty decent 6.5 of a movie. Well, I think this like, movie, it, it's not, it knows exactly what it wants to be. It's a genre film. We're, we're mm -hmm. a car chase, car theft film based on a, a film from back in the 70s of car chases and car thefts. We're going to do that. We're going to get a whole bunch of cars that are iconic at this time and put them in give them names that is a holdover from the original thing, which is 
giving you know credit back to the the past but do it in a modern take yeah there's uh references to the original film in at least one or two scenes this movie gives writing credit to the people that did the original Mm -hmm. it's uh you know it also does the thing where it encompasses a whole bunch of car culture even if it doesn't give attention to tuner cars like fast and furious does a year later it it mentions them at least because is that a supra there was a there was a 98 yep. Su- toyota supra turbo on the list yeah that that list is such a wild grab bag of cars oh it definitely I, is but again it's like you know what's popular at the time yeah i did read up on that 2000 gmc yukon that we joked about but apparently it was actually like the original yukons were a really nice like luxury car what so. was the well i know they steal an escalade but they also steal a yukon mm-hmm. it's on the list oh, isn't weird. that is that not the card oh it's the the escalade is the one they steal from the suburban the, garage right right and that is also just a gmc yukon in Cadillac badging. So, right. So they steal two Yukons. <laughs> yeah, basically. The, the one thing that this movie does poorly is there is no point for Angelina Jolie to be in it. She, she does, right. she does nothing that anyone else can do. And it's, it feels like here's a token woman. Who's a badass car girl. Look at her. She's so sassy and alt rock looky and weird, almost dread hairy. Um, yeah, that's marrying a, that's to a choice. to Billy Bob Thornton e <laughs> vials of blood era Angelina Jolie. Vials of blood. She used to wear a vial of blood of I think Billy Bob Thornton's around her neck. Right. The 2000s are best left forgotten for any of our listeners that are post-millennial generation. Um, Not a lot of good things happened, and it hasn't gotten better. That's why all your millennial friends are depressed. (laughs) Just don't look too hard at it, otherwise you're going to hurt yourself. If I were to make a fan edit of Gone in 60 Seconds, there's literally one thing I would change. I would rip that Memphis and Sway sex scene out of the movie and overwrite it a hundred times on my hard drive. Why do you hate it? Oh, it's just it's just the worst. It's like it's Nick Cage being Nick Cage all over the place and just the weird like whispering car terminology to each other while you yeah. like awkwardly <laughs> kiss for the first time in your lives and ugh. Like credit where credit is due, Angelina Jolie is a very attractive woman and mm-hmm. she her she is playing that scene like that character uh, as much as we know it. this character has been in like three previous scenes there's yeah. her introduction scene where this is my big contention in this fucking film is <laughs> that she is a ferrari qualified mechanic that is somehow having to work two jobs to make ends meet in 2000s mm-hmm. california which could be expensive but they show these people all living and working in working class areas that are still uh, more affordable than other areas. She is a yeah. qualified mechanic. This is both these films do mechanics dirty. Mechanics, <laughs> you, 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 good people. You also expensive ass people. Like 
It ain't cheap getting a mechanic. It's not cheap getting a Ferrari qualified mechanic that can quickly slide under the car and say, yeah, this this is wrong. The cams are really, uh, must have been, you know, riding it really hard in the corners and all that. And yeah. then have to go be a bartender, which, fuck you, I'm a bartender. Uh, it's a hard job. It ain't nearly as hard as being a mechanic, though. Right. I think my my big contention with this movie is that they're only paying $200,000 for 50 cars, which yeah. is like, I looked it up. It's $300,000 today. Like that is nothing. For... These cars just sold like, yeah, they, they are not getting a lot for their end of this, taking all the risk where like they, they talk about Eleanor at the end after Nick Cage or sorry, Memphis reigns, like breaks the mirror off. He's like, oh, you know, the list price for this car, let's call it 80 grand. It's like you're only getting 200,000 for stealing this thing. Like, and oh man, uh, uh, a Shelby Mustang GT uh, has gone up considerably since then. <laughs> yeah. You'd be lucky to find a shell or a, a terrible roller for that much. Mm hmm. Shout out to Chip Foose for making the Eleanor in this film. Shout out to Carol Shelby to, for making actual uh, Eleanor's and then getting sued. <laughs> that's a, that's a Carol Shelby that, thing. The guy, that too. The, the guy, the guy was a Wheeler dealer. He was he was from a different era, man. <laughs> so it, if you if you didn't catch our drift already with the fact that we've only spent maybe twenty minutes talking about Gone in sixty seconds, you know, mm. keeping with the theming, we really enjoyed Gone in sixty seconds. Uh, I think yeah. I can speak for you in that. It's more succinct. It doesn't waste your time. It's more lighthearted where it needs to be. It's not insulting your intelligence to the same degree that Need for Speed is. Um, yeah. It seems like they at least consulted some car guys on this. Car people. I don't want to gender the term, but, you know, they they consulted someone who knew something about cars other well, than I, like EA, who's like, we've made a couple car games. I think we know what we're talking about. I think that the problem is that the people that made Need for Speed had a lot of respect and understanding of cars. The people that were writing the script or editing it or were producing it did not have the same level of care for cars. Hmm. You, you know, like you showed me that video that was really cool of the behind the scenes for Need for Speed where like, it was kind of a first thing that first time anyone had ever done this. They took these monocoque bodies and just yeah. built out fake versions of these supercars on it. So the the last chase in the 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 uh, the uh, Daily Elm, they're wrecking these cars and they're really wrecking cars, but they're not wrecking actual like you know irreplaceable or or exorbitantly expensive cars they are mock-ups that cost a fraction and like had this movie been more successful could have really changed the way that people looked at like how to do this and i think to a point it has in some of them like uh when skyfall happened they used like apparently a 3d printed shell to destroy the db5 yeah one because set that, a guinness world record as well for that uh was it most spins in a wreck or something in a movie? You're thinking of two different films. That's the, that one the other James is Bond movie, Casino Royale. Yeah, which is made before Need for Speed. Yeah, 
Uh, but it was, it was, it, I think it said another record. You are right on that. It was not a Guinness record because I think it was broken. It was like the most expensive 3D printed thing was that <laughs> shell. Interesting. Um, I know like even, even the cars they used in Need for Speed weren't like cheap. Um, no, like, I think they, like, it was, if they, if they didn't have to wreck it, it would have made more sense to just buy the actual car because I think the shells were like three hundred grand or something. Yeah, all told, or whatever, which is comparatively less expensive. And then you also have that thing, and then that car can that shell that you're put the 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 frame that is under it can be used for other things, which is yeah, pretty much what they're switching to nowadays. Hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I think like the biggest difference like we said, is just gone in 60 seconds has such a, it's just better written. It's just, there's more stuff in every scene. Nothing overstays. It's welcome. Like in need for speed, you have, you have the scene um, at the gas station and it's like, okay, what do you learn from that scene? Like, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a scene from a different film almost like this is like a different kind of car chase film. Yeah. Uh, like you feel... learn that Julia's afraid of heights, and that's like the big thing. And you also yeah. learn how to pull an axle off of a cop car, and that's that's it. Yeah. Um, the uh, the thing I think that Need for Speed was trying to do, it was trying to do what John Wick did: be a a movie directed by a stuntman, putting real stunts at the forefront. Unfortunately, there was too much other stuff studio interfered into it i feel to make that come to the forefront whereas john wick comes through as a labor of love to stuntmen and stunt acting and action whereas need for speed is like we get it you love cars stop being us over the head with things that maybe people don't know about i remember one critique of need for speed is like this fetishization of carol shelby it's like well if you don't know who carol shelby is you probably should and this movie doesn't do a good job of explaining who he is yeah why he's important to automotive history yeah also this car movie does the thing or need for speed does the thing i hate where they showed a unreleased 2005 mustang at the end <laughs> i don't i don't hate it i just 2015 it. you mean yeah yeah the, the, the unreleased <laughs> an unreleased car from nearly a decade prior i think i think again that's that goes to the discussion at the beginning was like where I don't like a movie car is when it becomes blatantly an advertisement because they're what they're trying to do is time the release and reception of this film with the actual in dealership release of a car. Yeah. And I, I almost feel like you can lay that at the feet of EA because that seems like something a video game would do as opposed to, a, well, I'm not saying movies wouldn't do it. It just felt like an EA thing. And probably that's just because I want to blame all of this movie's problems on EA. Cause EA bad CD project red good. Yes. Praise Geraldo. Praise Geraldo de Rivia. <laughs> um, so yeah, gone in 60 seconds is the film that we have watched multiple times on a lazy afternoon. We would recommend watching again on a lazy afternoon need for speed. Yeah. Probably. It needed some extra editing and some le- less less hands in the pot. I feel mm-hmm. because there is there is a there is a more fun punchier movie in there 
and the car stunts and camera work that they did was impressive in and of itself. And it should have been at the forefront rather than a dumb revenge story. Yeah. If you want to enjoy Need for Speed, watch the De Leon scene, especially if you played Hot Pursuit 2. And, you know, that's kind of all you need from it. Also, I forgot to bring this up during the dis- the original discussion, but Aaron Paul does this weird, like, Batman voice thing, which, I don't know, I found kind of weird. That was a thing that people did uh, criticize it for. Like, I don't think he's a terrible actor. I think the director, being a stuntman, didn't know how to direct an actor. Mm-hmm. And, like, because yeah. his, o- his other few films, Act of Valor and Six Below, Miracle on the Mountain, Act of Valor is a terrible film. Uh, it has the, the distinction, uh, sorry to any Navy SEALs, but not really. Y'all is fucking cowboys and I hate you. Um, <laughs> you can't that, act. Navy SEALs. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck did you just say to me, you little cute <laughs> Navy SEAL copy pasta? <laughs> um, the, the had Navy SEALs in all the lead roles, they can't act. They, they can't mm-hmm. act at all. Um, it's not even a great action film either. It, it's bad. <laughs> so uh, to have a good afternoon, drink some Lowrider and shoot some tequila. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so thanks for listening, everyone. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, you can do so on Twitter or email. We are on Twitter at MatchCut. Uh, we are on email at MatchCutPod at gmail.com. Uh, shoot, we forgot to look up the movies for next time. Oh, I know what they are. I just didn't right, want to spoil great. them because the both of them have twists that if you spoil them can somewhat detract from the film. So come on back uh, next time when we talk about them and spoil them (laughs) (laughs) bye 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 How excited um, are you for that Ford versus Ferrari movie? Um, you don't even fucking know. <laughs> because right. I, it's got fucking James Mangold, who I loved the Wolverine. Um, mm-hmm. It's got Christian Bale, who is amazing. It's got yeah. Matt Damon, who looks nothing like Carol Shelby. And it's got <laughs> uh, John Barenthal, who looks nothing like Lee Iacocca. It's going to be awesome. But it's also about an awesome time in auto automotive history when when Ford was about to buy Ferrari and then uh, Henry Ford II, I think, was like, no, no, Enzo, you can't own anything with that name with your own name on it anymore. So Ferrari was like, well, a screw you. I'm done with this deal. <laughs> Flawless Enzo impersonation, I feel. Um, yeah, yeah. And so then Ford went to Carroll Shelby because Carroll Shelby had won Le Mans as a privateer by building five uh, of the, 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 the Daytona Cobra Coupes that broke a land speed record <laughs> and also made uh, motoring have 
speed limits on the the British motorways. Carol <laughs> Shelby is the reason that the the M motorways have speed limits because they were going to be like the autobahn. <laughs> Thanks, Shelby. <laughs> That's why Carol Shelby's awesome. Yeah, I'm super looking forward to it. Maybe we do like a mini episode or something. Talk so about if, it. 